This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rat. And today, Ruth, I'm talking to an Auckland psychotherapist who's told the story of how it is to live with incurable cancer. Well, it's a sad story. And well, no, it's an, uplifting, it's an uplifting story. story. Well, yes. that's, that's a wonderful story for people and families and I think we need more of those, but mine is uh, quite different. It's a crime novel. It's a crime novel that I found really difficult because the protagonist is such a monster. <laughs> and it's um, K.M. Tarrant's first crime novel, and it's set in a funeral director's premises, and it involves an embalmer. K.M. Tarrant was born in Tamuka, a quiet, friendly little town in the South Island of New Zealand. And uh, when, after a young age, she loved to write. And then later on, they moved to the North Island and they are now a family and are now living in Auckland. Welcome to the programme, Kim. Thank you, Rose. It's lovely to be here. Well, this is your first novel, Life and Death in Birkenhead, and it borrows from your years as an embalmer and blends two other interests, crime and figuring out what makes people tick. This is quite different from most crime novels. You're having to work out through the story who the villain is or who, you know, whatever. Mm. And um, But you, we know right from the beginning, don't we? Yes, yes, right from the beginning. I thought... Um I kind of didn't plan it that way either. It just sort of worked better that way. Um, yes, well, it certainly, yeah. yes, I thought it worked well because Thank Maisie you. is a young New Zealand woman who's gone overseas mm-hmm. and uh, to do her OE. And she comes and she needs some money, so she works in London as an, and learns to be an embalmer. And that's yes. when I thought, oh, these horrible things that Gerald's doing as an embalmer um, mm-hmm. must link with her. So that was a clever link, I think, to have one person at one end of the spectrum and one at the other. So Gerald, yes. Gerald is so unlikable. I mean, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't see one redeeming feature, and I usually no, try. Mm, he was a monster. I've, had quite a few people say that. Yes, it's possibly something that I would uh, change a little bit if I if I was to write a similar book um, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't. He doesn't have any redeeming qualities. He's very, very good on the surface. People, Is people he? like him. They <laughs> yes. don't read. Well, yes, they like him. They they think of him as a, a yes. hard work the people he works with. But he's not a very nice person at all. No, and no. he. He um, normally leaves alone, works alone um, quite Mm. often at night and out of hours, so um, nobody knows what he's doing except his assistant, whom he sort of threatens with blackmail, um, Mm -hmm. and that's how he needs the help. Um, And it just builds and builds and builds. And when he meets uh, Maisie, who comes home, um, and she... um, needs a job and she's done the embalming course in London so 
she applies for a job at the same um, um, funeral home. Yes. yes. So there we go. <laughs> it's actually terrified you. <laughs> and I was terrified, yes. I couldn't possibly read it at night. <laughs> All on my own. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I've read a lot of crime. But, um, yes. Yes, so we we go back, we start, the story starts with Jenny. Well, it starts really when he was a child, doesn't he? And he's not too... <clears throat> got a very pleasant attitude towards animals um, right. when he's young and um, that was sort of a hint of what was to happen and then um, Jenny um, you know was yes. I went back to that when I was reading a second time because that's when it sort of um, he decided to try things out didn't he yes. 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 So I wondered who you um, read as crime you know as a crime writer who do you read um, uh, my well, I've got lots of favourites, but I love Patricia Cornwell. Yes, um, haven't heard much from her lately, have we? No, not lately. No, um, I like the way she links everybody up, and they all end up having these interactions that you're not expecting. Yes, um, which was what I tried to do. I actually really like Jodie Picoult too. I know that yes. shocks a lot of people. Um, no, she writes on, like on current affairs um, yeah, mostly. Yes, um, Mad Honey, I've just read it. Absolutely brilliant book. Mm, Loved it. Mm. Um, yeah, she's she's a very clever writer. But, yeah, um, quite a few different writers. Um, I do prefer um, sort of crime-solving novels. Yes. Um, more where the reader is the one who has to sort of figure out what's happening. But I find it's very, very few books, which is probably why I didn't try and do that when I wrote that one, um, it's very hard to do that and to have the reader not going, oh, I know who it is straight away. You know, like yes. a lot of people who read a lot will figure things out very quickly. Um, and I think that's possibly why I ended up writing Life and Death and Birkenhead the way I did because I, I knew that people who read a lot would very quickly figure out who was who, you know. So I figured, okay, let's just tell everybody what's happening and just let them come on the journey. So they Maisie's on her journey, and mm-hmm. um, Gerald's on his, and so yes. they obviously were going to have a collision on a collision course, really. <laughs> and when Absolutely. she, and so the pace moves more quickly after they meet, and um, mm. and I know all the dreadful things he's doing, um, really. So I'm hoping, hoping that. Uh, <laughs> It, it will come quickly, and I will be um, pleased with the ending. <laughs> so you did that very well. You did that very Thank well. You. Thank you. So did you have any, um, you know, when you were in Mbama, um mm. you found it, you said in your um, piece that I read, that you found it incredibly rewarding but exhausting, and... Um, yeah. And those who do not earn a living caring for the dead, the mortuary may seem to be a dark and secretive place and possibly mm. a little frightening. Was that how you felt for a while? No, not myself. Um, I've always had a, a um, I don't know what you'd call it, like a, not a fascination, but a, a respect, I suppose, for uh, the body and death and all the things that go on in life. I've got a sister who's a police officer, long-time police officer, another sister who's an, um, a nurse, 
and my mother was a nurse in her younger days. Um, we all kind of just talk about things like that all the time, so it was never a frightening thing for me. Um, but I did kind of, apart from the scary parts that are fictional, um, I did want people to sort of realise that what goes on in a, in a normal mortuary is is caring and um, respectful and all of those things. You know, everybody I've ever worked with treats the deceased and their families um, as if they were their own. Well, that's what we expect, isn't it? And, yes, absolutely. Um, Maisie um, really demystifies um, the, the, the little frightening bits about, you know, if you haven't had anybody die mm. near, close to you, then uh, and you, you do feel a little bit nervous sometimes mm. um, before you meet the the people who are going to support and help you. But, yeah. um, you know, she really demystifies the embalming world, doesn't she? Mm. And yeah. um, <clears throat> so that leaves you a chance to have an evil um, an evil character, I felt, that, like yeah. Gerald. And... Um, and you allow us to get a little comfortable, not much, <laughs> and then you scare the crap out of them, the reader. Isn't that yep. how it goes? Please. And then yep, you. Exactly what I wanted. Yes, and that was how it affected me. And I haven't felt that affected for quite some time. So you oh, really succeeded in what you wanted to do. And I'm really interested to. Um, hear some of my friends' opinions of this book who are mm. avid crime ra- readers. And yeah. um, it it reminded me sometimes of um, a little bit of, because um, I think, um, who am I thinking of in New Zealand? I'm probably thinking of Paul Cleave in some mm. of his earlier books, which I felt um, were also, um, of course, fiction. But um, yeah. I did get a bit scared about... Um, some of his early ones and The Cleaner um, was his first one that's yeah, going to be yeah. on television soon and um, you know that was the story of a very ordinary person and you really do play um, or make Gerald be a very ordinary person it could be my neighbour mm. mm. That's right and that, that's the thing with with these types of characters, um, sociopaths or psychopaths, I'm not sure the correct term, but um, I think Jill kind of encompasses all of those terms. He's just pure evil, and he's been like that since he was a child. He doesn't know any different. He has no empathy for anything or anyone. Um, and there are people like that walking around amongst us, which is frightening, but there are a lot more Maisies. Than there are Gerald's. That, 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 yes, that's right, and mm. that you emphasise that, so I felt mm. felt more comfortable then. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm so, <laughs> so Maisie's friend um, from childhood is uh, TP um, mm-hmm. and Tiffany, and um, yeah. he goes into the police force, so he becomes the other important character, doesn't he? Yeah. Mm. Mm. And um, her support, of course, and um, yeah. So, I I thought there was a good range of characters. You had, you've got quite okay. a few other minor characters, and um, I thought the range was very good. So I liked that, and I really admire your, um, you know, dedication to do it this way because I think it's a different way from most crime novels, and I like the um, variety of the, you know, knowing about the character to begin with. 
and um, mm. Maisie is um, doing the same kind of work, so she's the obvious person to meet him and and wonder why he's doing a few strange things and following mm. following that up. So yeah. I wondered why you um, just have KM as your initial on the book. You don't say I have Kim Tarrant. No, I thought, um, and you know, obviously it's the first book I've written uh, thus far. So I'm still learning, but I thought. I know a lot of people, um, men particularly, would probably prefer a male writer. So I thought, let's just leave it generic so they don't know with the initials uh, that it's a female. Right. Written the book. Um, not, not everybody obviously feels like that, but I know it would have put some people off. Um, I know myself, I've read, I can't even think what they were now, but there was a couple of books a few years back that were written by a man and he was giving a female perspective, the book was written, and it just didn't ring true. It may have just been that writer, but I didn't want to give anybody that concern. Well, I don't think you need to worry now. No. <laughs> you can come clean and use your name, um, yeah. <laughs> because I think that's um, passing for women um, yeah. now, yeah. and, um, you know, we go back to... I do think it is, too, you're right. You know, in... The Brontes and those people, some of mm. their contemporaries certainly uh, wouldn't have been published if they hadn't used a male name or a you know, contact. So mm. I want to see Kim on your next book. <laughs> okay, I will do that for you. <laughs> so thank you for writing it. And um, it's given a kind of um, different direction for crime novels, mm. I think. And uh, I read a lot of them. And yep. uh, yes, congratulations. So well, if you're you wanting much. a fairly scary book, look for uh, Life and Death in Birkenhead. Could be your neighbour <laughs> by <laughs> K.M. Tarrant and it's published right. by Mary Egan Publishing. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. The feeling of cancer is about a psychotherapist sharing her own deeply personal experience of confronting the emotional challenges of living with incurable cancer. Sandra Russell has spent many years working as a registered psychotherapist with adults, couples and families. But when a diagnosis of incurable cancer propelled her uh, into a different life, she had to find herself navigating through the turmoil of diagnosis, treatment and beyond. This book arose out of her studies um, for a Master's of Creative Writing up in Auckland. And I wondered, Sandra, um, how easy it was to come up with the title for this book. Ah, oh, that's an interesting question. A couple of people have asked me that, Marin, and the answer to that is um, I do a lot of my thinking and writing in the middle of the night because I'm still on medication and have been for years. I sleep very badly, and but I get a lot of my creative inspiration when I wake up in the wee small hours, and it was one of those things that just came to me when I woke up. So I think it's in a half dream state, half waking state that I came up with the idea, the feeling of cancer. I thought about putting an S on it, the feelings, but I thought it, it was more general than that, the feeling, the whole feeling of it. I wanted to sort of sweep and it, once I thought of it, I just knew it was right for the book. 
<laughs> I think it is. I think it is because um, even though you have to go into all the horrible details of what the cancer yeah. was and the treatment um, treatments, various treatments you were given, it's still very much focused on the feelings, the feeling of it in, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And you say that this is the book that you were looking for. Yes, I, I, I turned to reading because I find reading's my sort of nourishment when something happens. I always look for books, not always the sort of self-help type books, quite often novels and just anything I can find that I think will help me in life to understand things because that's my nature. And after I'd been diagnosed, I started to comb through the cancer sort of literature. There's a lot out there about cancer and a lot about people living with it and how they've coped. But more sort of the medical details, details about hospitals and doctors and intense, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs about treatments. And I was sort of screaming inside when I was reading, but how were you coping? What were you feeling? And what I began to realize that people didn't have the words and couldn't express their feelings when they were going through these traumatic times. And it wasn't that they didn't want to write about it. It was just so difficult. And that was why I thought perhaps with my background in psychotherapy, I could use myself and my experience as a case study and, and turn the whole thing on its head, really, and write it from a different point of view. And that's, that's what I did. Kept it really simply about my own experience and tried to avoid writing about doctors and hospitals and the whole narrative that usually comes with a cancer memoir. Well, of course, you do have to go into those details because we need to know what sort you of do. cancer <laughs> that you have been diagnosed with and how yeah. you were treated and um, what people are likely to experience if they do have to have chemotherapy, if they do, as you do, have to have transplants. Um, so there is all that kind of physical, medical detail that needs to go in there. But yes. I think you've done a very successful job of, of, you know, dealing with that, but then moving on to the emotional, mental um, side of, of what was going on for you. Did yeah. you keep very detailed journals or is it so fresh in your mind you didn't have to use them I, I do have lots of notebooks but I didn't really keep notes at the time I think what you said about it being fresh in my mind is right in fact I think a lot of my experiences were seared into my brain because they were quite disturbing and traumatic and I don't think I would ever forget them so writing about them it wasn't difficult to recall them it is the immediacy of of um, your treatment and your feelings about it that I think comes through so strongly. And you, I noticed that you're using the present tense when you're, when you're writing about it. So that brings the reader immediately into, into you know, your mind and, and what was going on. When did you make the choice to use that? Um, that's a really good. I, that's a good question. I wasn't writing in the present tense until part of my masters at AUT was about tenses. A whole morning, we had a whole morning reading um, different texts in different tenses, and I went home thinking I have to write this 
in the present tense now. And it just suddenly became, as you say, much more immediate. But also the feelings, I think, were more present when I was writing in the present tense. So you're right, you could be with me. You could be alongside me feeling it. And it changed everything, writing in the present tense. I think it changed the whole book for the reader and for me. Yeah, I, I'm a well. That's why I asked you the question because I think it. Probably, yeah. I can tell that it did. Um, it just plunges you in. <laughs> yes, and it's interesting when you say for you it was really important to read, to look for things to read. You know, you tried yeah. googling and and going yeah. on on you know with support groups online, and then you tried. You know the the various support groups that are out there, and there's you know a good number out there. You tried meditation, yeah. um, uh, you tried mind mindfulness. Uh, it's it's interesting what works for various people, isn't it? Because you we're I, all looking I think it's a for very a way. Personal thing. Yes, I think I think there's a kind of common. Um, self-help advice out there the common advice for people with cancer is to do certain things like eat differently exercise the mindfulness thing is very big but i think that just kind of bombards you with things you should be doing when you're feeling very low and vulnerable and fragile and i'm I'm all for trying to find the things that work for you which is what is the bottom line for me i'm not going to start running or going for a daily swim or or eating juice you know drinking juices and stuff i i think you've got to find your own way of making your life simpler so that you can sit back and do what you need to do. But it's very hard when there's such a powerful group of people telling you what works, what doesn't work, what you should, what you shouldn't do. And I kind of rail against that a little bit, I think, in the book. You've got to find your own personal way that works for you. And that's through knowing who you are, but also what what feelings you're going through and what you need at that particular time in the treatment and diagnosis phases. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think this this is a book as much for the support people, the families who, you know, are often at at a their wits end to know how to yeah. how to how to help and support the yeah. you know, their beloved family members who are going through this. Yeah. It's a tough time for everyone. I think I say in the book that one of my consultants said to me, he thinks that the families suffer more than the patients because they have to watch it all happening and they don't get the support the patient gets even. They're like innocent bystanders, if you like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they have to, they, they, the helplessness is awful. It's yeah. awful. You know, nobody wants to watch people suffer. But yeah. And, and, and in a way, you're in it on your own. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes, to a indeed. degree. It, it's to, you're going through it and people want to help and they want to do things, but they can't take the pain away. And, you know, it's, it's awful for everybody in different ways. Yeah. Yes, and we, we want information at different stages. I think, you know, you're capturing your immediate shock and horror because you were hospitalised straight away. Yeah. Often yeah. people aren't. But, you know, those immediate feelings of, of, of just being given the worst possible news in your life yeah. and um, yeah. struggling, struggling. And um, you couldn't you couldn't have sat down and read a book at that stage, probably. No, no. 
I, I couldn't read it. I couldn't even read the newspaper at that point in time. I was just so overwhelmed with everything. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's hard to explain it, but I do try in the book to explain, you know, the, the levels of anxiety and the overwhelm with any information. You get lots of pamphlets about what's going on, but they're full of diagrams and and things that I, I didn't understand. I don't understand how blood works or... I did biology at school, but they didn't explain things like that to me. <laughs> and when it's your own body, it's really hard to compute. You know, it's not just information about someone else. It's something that's going on inside you. So there's another level of trying to manage all the information that's coming to you about the cancer. This is happening to you inside your body. It's quite horrifying, really. And yeah. <laughs> and I think you, you um, say many times, and I have had that um, experience too, of feeling very let down by your body, <laughs> very sort oh, of um, yes. angry with your body for having not let you know that, that things were yes. going on. Yes, and and how could this be happening? I think it was Stephen Fry. I loved what he said Steve, when he got cancer a few years ago. Stephen, you're not the sort of person who gets cancer. <laughs> it's very Stephen Fry, isn't it? But, it is. But I understand that, that level of denial. It's not supposed to happen to you, but it's not supposed to happen to anyone, is it? <laughs> Nobody walks around thinking it's going to happen to them. So, you know, it's, it's shocking for everybody. But, yeah, when your body lets you down like that, and you still have to be in it because you can't be anywhere else. It's a terrible feeling of betrayal. Yeah. It's, it's been a joy talking to you, Sandra, and um, I think this book is going to be of great use to many people. I hope so. Many people. And throughout, there's your sense of humour coming through, and I think that is what often saves us in times of, of great trauma. I think so. You've got to be able to see the absurd in it all because some of it is quite absurd. <laughs> and yes, it is. It's been lovely talking to you as well, Marin, and I really hope this book helps people. That's why I wrote it. That's what drove me to do it and finish it. And let's hope so, science keeps you with us for as long as possible, Sandra. I hope so. There are amazing things happening in New Zealand all the time. The Malagan Institute, the Cancer Society, there's a lot of money going into research with cancers like mine. So the landscape's changing quickly which is very gratifying to me, I hope. <laughs> Thank you. The book is called The Feeling of Cancer, a psychotherapist's story of living with incurable cancer. It's by Sandra Russell, and it's published by Self Aware. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.